Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to our Alan Wake 2 episodic discussion. Uh, very fascinating game from what I played. Played the first one, played this one, so I had a very, like, pleasant time overall. But we're going to get into this podcast with me and my panel. So first and foremost, I'm Renegade Operative. And for the panelists, we have Bane. Hey, hello. How you doing, folks? How's it going, Bane? You, you a big Alan Wake fan? I am. I played, I've played every one of Remedy's games, even Crossfire X. I, I'm, I'm that much of a shill. I've, I've played Crossfire X, their single player add-on to a game that is now inactive completely and you can't even play. Oh yeah, that's the multiplayer. I do remember that. Yeah, oh, the campaign's locked too, even if you bought it. Oh, fuck. That's, that's yeah. pretty bad, man. <laughs> Damn. If, I, honestly, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest here. It's not, it's their worst thing they've ever made, but it was still fun, so. Yeah, I guess that's all that matters. You had fun with it, and it was like a super great time. Uh, yeah. Next, we're going to introduce Austin. Hello, I'm AK Austin. It's been a minute since I've been on the podcast, but I'm here again. Uh, just a quick note, Alan Wake 1 is one of my favorite 360 era games of all time. So I'm pretty excited to talk about Alan Wake 2, the long-awaited sequel. And Shug, introduce yourself, good sir. If he is here. I don't think uh -oh. he is. I hear no audio. He's, he is the first one in the call. Oh, well, he, he said I'll be there in a second. I got told to do something, so. Oh, all right. Gotcha. Well, I guess we'll move to the first question and then we'll get to him last. Uh, so first question is obviously you guys went through Alan Wake 1 and then there was a 13 year hiatus of this game until the sequel. Now, I remember Sam Lake said a lot of times that he had iterations of Alan Wake 2 and uh, it kept going over and over and over again. Uh, he never got the chance to make it. And then there was a thing where it's like, he had to get back the rights. What do you guys yeah. think of this game overall now that 13 years has passed between Alan Wake 1 and 2? And did it live up to the hype, in your opinion? Bane, you go first. Ah, yeah. Um, and somebody's going to point this out in the comments. But technically, there was Alan Wake's American Nightmare, but um, that was like a side game. But yeah, no, um, the, the wait in between was the, this long journey of them trying to do Alan Wake 2 multiple times. Uh, one of them ended up becoming the pitch for Quantum Break, and then Microsoft, after that, kind of underperformed. Uh, they were like, uh, maybe not, and then from there, Remedy started working on Control, which yeah, also connects to this, but that, that wait was very long. You know, it it was a long time coming, but I'm honestly glad that it took as long as it did, because what we got ended up being really good. So, I'm okay with that. Austin. Oh, shit. That's all I got. Austin, it's your turn. What do you think of the big wait of 13 years between Alan Wake 1 and 2 and did 2 live up to the hype? 13 years seems a long time because 13 years ago, I was 9 years old. No oh, shit. Or okay. less than that. I was... I was nine years old when freaking Alan Wake 1 came out and I saw trailers for it on like uh, when you can watch like E3 stuff on like Comcast on demand. But besides the point, uh, yeah, 
like I said at the start of this podcast, Alan Wake 1 is probably my one of my favorite, top favorite 360 era games of all time. Uh, just the premise alone of everything about the game sold me immediately as a kid. I was like, yeah, this game is freaking awesome. I need to play this. Never played it until, like, I think two years after its release. And I got done with it, and I was like, that's the ending? Like, it's not a bad ending, per se, but I was like, man, I really want more. And for the longest time, I was like, I'm, I hope to God we get a part two. I hope to God. And then, lo and behold, we get a freaking trailer at the biggest event it could have been at. And I was, I literally screamed. I, I think I was with some friends, and I screamed so loud, they told me to shut up. <laughs> and I was just like, I was like, dude, you don't understand. This is one of my favorite games of all time, and I've been waiting this long to get a goddamn sequel. I'm going to freaking blow my voice out. I don't give a shit. It's, it was insurmountable hype. And just everything leading up to it, from the talks to everything, I literally was, like, keeping myself in the dark, but also, like, getting tidbits of, like, what they're talking about this game and seeing little bits and pieces. It's like, all right, this game's going to be fun. I'm going to prepare myself, and I'm going to try to contain the hype. Game comes out, and I was like, okay, this game is pretty, pretty, pretty good, to all say the least. I, ah, the hype of it was amazing. But, yeah. All right. All right. It's my turn. Uh, so I was someone I'm going to keep it brief, but I was someone who was on the PS3 during the time this game released. And, uh, I was still intrigued and fascinated by it, even though I didn't have an Xbox 360 at the time. Uh, it was an interesting concept and not only was I drawn in from the company uh, on this game, but I also thought to myself, hey, I, I like Max Payne. So this is something that, oh, they're doing like a sort of psychological horror-like story. So uh, I, I told myself that it, it was something that was interesting and it was a completely new idea as opposed to like something like a Max Payne 3 or something. So I was like, okay, uh, new IP with this writer who can change reality and shift it to uh, whatever he sees fit. And he's seeing like the horror story in front of him as he wrote it. And it was a very cool game. Then I remember the long wait for information because this game got like delayed. Uh, so I was wondering what happened to it. And then I remember it came out critical reception. People loved it, enjoyed it, what it had to offer. And I was like, I had to play it eventually. So I got it on PC and I remember loving Alan Wake 1. It's definitely a product of the time for sure when going back and thinking about it because uh, it's a lot of stuff in that game where, you know, I would tweak and fix and, and make better and uh, a lot of enemy gauntlets in that game. But overall, like still the character to character moments really resonated with me in that game. And then when they made the sequel, now for, the first thing I saw was the sort of demo that they showed like it was a proof in concept that alan wake showing scratch got into the dark place and um it was amazing amazing gameplay so i'm like why is this not like an actual thing and then sam lake talked about the rights so i was like oh shit. well uh given this situation we're not gonna see this game for a long long time and uh i was honestly right about that when they showed out that information uh was the wait worth it well i i would say yes because 
it's like he said this was the best iteration of this game uh that i could think of all the right beats all the right moments and just some of that also wacky uh sam lake flair while also having a really dark and mature story uh which is something i always look forward to i, I think it couldn't have been better uh them focusing on more of the horror aspects of this game now, Shug, we have Shug here. We're going to have him introduce himself and sort of talk about his experience between Alan Wake 1 and 2 and was 2 worth it. So, Shug, introduce yourself. All right. Hello, guys. Um, <laughs> a little bit of a latecomer, but um, so um, I was very hyped for this game. I, I let my voice out a lot of how hyped I was about this game. Um. I am a little bit of a late bloomer into Remedy and Alan Wake because I only ever actually played my first Remedy game, which was Quantum Break, and I enjoyed the game. Um, and I was like, I know I had, I knew about Alan Wake and all that stuff, you know, it was, it was a very popular game, and but I just never had the chance because I I thought of it as like a horror game and it was gonna be fucking scary as hell, and I was like, it wasn't really too scary when I played it, and I enjoyed it, but um. I played it. I played for the first time. I want to say like maybe almost seven years ago now. I want to say, and I enjoyed the game. I loved it, you know. And I was like, this game is just amazing. And I like how uh, I, I like. I just like how Alan plays in terms of how he, you know, he narrates pretty much everything that's going on. So whenever the the second game got announced, I was hyped. I was very excited. Then they said it was going to be like a survival horror, and I was like, oh. That's going to be challenging, but I'm up for it, you know? Um, I enjoyed the game. Uh, it was probably one of my favorite games last year, even even with the other ones that came out um, around the time that it did. But um, I was hype as hell for the game. I was happy that, you know, finally we get to have Alan Wake uh, get a sequel. And uh, it got, you know, I, I think it, it, I just, I, it lived up to the hype, at least to me, of how much I was excited for this game to come out finally. All right, so we're moving on to the next question, which is number two. The gameplay of Alan Wake 2 was warped from action horror to survival horror. It's quite clear that both games play differently to a different degree. How do you feel about them tweaking the gameplay to be different in the sequel with more survival horror elements? Bane, you will go first. All right. Um, yeah, no, I, I I really think this shift was I, a smart one. Uh, because Alan Wake 1 is a lot of fun, and, and I do think that when, when you get the hang of it, you do become kind of like an action hero at certain points. But I feel like for what they're trying to do here, tightening that scope, making you a lot more vulnerable, a lot more, you know, mushy, I guess the best way to describe it, is better for the game. And I think its horror is really fucking good. In moments, um, I, I think we'll we'll talk about it later. But yeah, there, there's moments of this game that rival some of the best Silent Hill games, some of the best Resident Evil games. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I really liked it. Uh, uh, oh, that's pretty much all I got. Okay, I thought you were. I thought you wasn't finished. But yeah. uh, Austin, what about you? What is your sort of experience with them changing the gameplay for? Alan Wake between action horror and survival horror with Alan Wake 2. So, I, just for an FYI, I literally played the remaster of Alan Wake 1 just like 
one month prior to Alan Wake 2's release, so I was like, gotta get myself fresh on the story, characters, and the gameplay, so I can, you know, I know I'm gonna get asked what's the comparison, and yeah, I it's the the gameplay shift between action horror to survival horror is brilliant. It 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 just fits the game, especially the this type of game of how Alan Wake 2 writes itself and how it presents itself. It it should have been a survival horror game. It's just that during the time of, you know, Alan Wake 1 came out, it, all action survival was kind of big and all that stuff, or action horror. But survival horror in Alan Wake 2's, or in Alan Wake's universe, give it give it to me. Give it to me. Love the, the, manage, the item management in the system at first was, you know, a little bit annoying, reminiscent of, like, old Resident Evil games and how it goes back and forth. And like, oh, item management, item management. It didn't really get that bad until like late game stuff. Um, gameplay switches. It again, they kind of took elements of like Resident Evil 2 remake, which is not a bad thing. Is that they kind of like they didn't really copy it, but they took elements of it. But they tried to refine it in a way that worked in its systems. And for the most part, it did. I have my criticisms, which I'll leave until the last question about my thoughts on the gameplay. But I thought overall it was a solid gameplay shift. I thought enemy variety in some areas was nice. Um, I do sort of miss sometimes like whole like a gauntlet situation, not like it's like plentiful, but like you know here and there in some areas. I would say like maybe two for each character. In my opinion, would have been better. They did do some of that like later in like some of the chapters. But overall, I felt like the degree of how, the, at least the direction they took in the gameplay was, I want to say it's like four steps forward, two steps back, and I'll go dive deep th deeper into that later. But overall, it was a significant change and a significant change for the better and a little bit for the worse. But overall, I enjoyed the gameplay experience and I want to see if they going to do more in terms of new mechanics or different elements okay i'll go next on this one so it uh honestly i played both and you know i i liked elements of both i i, I don't think that alan wake one had bad gameplay at all but thematically i can see why they made the shift to uh full-on survival horror because i mean the story kind of writes itself for it right ironically no pun intended um therefore because of that they decided to scale it back make it more like re2 remake like austin said and i i think it kind of does benefit from those moments now granted uh there is a lot more action in alan wake one uh where you're fighting in arena battles and and and, and big ass taken are coming at you and you have to flash your light um then you have your flare that pops the shields off them and it's just a lot more frantic in gameplay with that game from what i played a lot more ammo a lot more jumping around trying to dodge stuff it, it's cool but this one is a lot more methodical. I, I, I found out that if you try to fight like four dudes at once, you're going to get your ass kicked. It's just one of those situations where you're not well equipped to handle situations like that. And it gets kind of like a little aggravating. I'm not going to lie. I had situations like that where four people come up behind me and I'm dead. But 
is it good gameplay i would say yes um it's honestly like you know good in the sense of i already like re2 remake so anything that imitates it is a sincere form of flattery in my opinion and i i think that's fine i think finding their own ground of doing something different is what some sequels should be um that being said I, I i will say there are things that i don't like uh which i will address in later criticisms of saga and alan's campaign as well as the last question but uh you will get all that there overall though was it worth it i, I would say so and then maintaining those survival elements being out of ammo uh desperately fighting did make perfect sense for the game should what about you what is your sort of opinion on them shifting the gameplay from action to horror i think it was good honestly um i will say that yeah uh, the gameplay of the first game is definitely towards like at the times um the game was felt that original game felt more arcadey than anything at times especially with uh some of the parts where you had to just stand there and have all the lights and activate them all that kind of shit with the boss waves kind of but like it wasn't i wouldn't say it was like let's say you know what you expect from a scary game and sure you would have like these very loud noises that'll probably just you know pop in real quick and kind of just like you know scare you a little bit i will admit but like it felt, you know, like I said, it felt more arcadey than anything. Whenever they announced that the, the second one was going to come out and it was going to be more survival horror, I was like, that's cool. Uh, what kind and or what kind of gameplay or how is it going to play? And it's like I saw more gameplay of it towards like the closer we got. And I was like, oh, this looks like, you know, Resident Evil and whatever. So I was interested. What <laughs> one of the one of the things that kind of makes me laugh is the fact that um. They kept Alan's uh, slow ass basically slow, and so <laughs> when you try to run away from enemies, normally you're still gonna get hit unless you dodge with Alan. Even even Saga was kind of slow, um, but you know again it's understandable. Um, but at least this time you didn't really have stamina and like get tired or whatever. And when it came to like ammo, I will say that. I struggled a lot more with ammo for Saga than I did Alan, and uh, it, it happened a lot. And I would be just, you know, packed with flares with, uh, with Alan or just have, you know, the flare gun and uh, flashbangs and some good amount of ammo with a shotgun and a pistol. When it came over to Saga, I would have maybe six or seven bullets left for one gun, two bullets for the shotgun, and like three three rounds left for a fucking uh, rifle. Um, so ammo was pretty much my biggest problem, and it it was always an issue. But you know, it's nothing too bad. Again, it's a survival game, so you're expecting to actually struggle here to uh, to go through the levels. Um, so. I liked it. It was a lot more scarier, for sure, especially with, uh, I think it was a lot, the scarier elements between them are pretty, pretty different, because with Alan, you always have the shadows kind of just saying, wake, and popping up behind you, and you never really know if they're, you know, if they're actual enemies or not, at times. Sometimes I come too close to them, and they hit me, because I'm like, are you, are you good or bad? With Saga, it was more of a, uh, with Saga, you get grouped up a lot. 
with Saga, it was a lot of just trying not to die in groups of four. So um, hers was a lot more difficult with trying to deal with enemies. You have all the uh, all the uh, the jump scares that you get and like random uh, random instances going through. Like uh, I would I want to say the uh, the uh, the the home the old people home in Valhalla, which was probably my scariest moment for like question later question, and uh, it was fun. You know, it was like it, it was one of those things that. The change was really good, and I think it was much more necessary than keeping it how it used to be. I think if it was kept the way it used to be, people wouldn't have liked the game that much. All right, so we're moving to the third question, and that is scariest moments in the game. If you have, like, multiple options, you can go ahead and pick those. Bane, I want you to go first. Okay, this is going to be on... <clears throat> Fuck, sorry. I, I fucking took a drink before that. This is going to be on everyone's list here but it's uh probably when you're walking up to cynthia and you get the jump scare um which i'll, I'll describe how i got that one my first time uh i was walking up to her she said you'll you'll i forgot what she says at first they'll be like ah oh, you you'll see something oh, come here you'll see something you'll like and i'm like okay it's an old lady nope that's a fucking jump startle right in my face and i i honestly about pissed my pants that was the first time a jump scare has gotten me in years dude <laughs> Um, another one is, uh, honestly, I'll let other people describe one since I probably picked like the top one, but yeah, no, so walking up to Cynthia first time, if you don't walk up to her, by the way, that's something I noticed on, the, um, my second playthrough for New Game Plus, if you don't walk up to her for a bit, she'll actually like talk with you for a minute. So there's a conversation there. You'll still get the jump scare at the end of it though, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, only jump scares got me in years. But that's all I got. Austin, what about you? Scariest moments? All right. Well, scariest moments. Um. Okay. I think, honestly, I think the biggest jump scare that, or biggest scare moment for me, I'm trying to think. Um, just trying to remember what what got me the most, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like I literally stopped playing for a second, and I think it might have been the first like like pop up jump scare in the game with um, uh, Agent Nightingale. I think the first time that does that, I just was not completely expecting it. My like my brain was like half off at the time, just like, "All right, I'm just exploring. Maybe it's not too dangerous." And then boom. I literally, I think I jumped out of my seat and like hit pause by accident, and like re and like, or, like went into like the mind place of Saga, and I was like, "Whoa, okay, back that shit up right now." <laughs> Not cool. <laughs> Not cool at all. Okay, game. And so literally for like the entire my entire playthrough of Elemental Two after that. I literally was like, it's gonna, there's gonna be a pop up. There's gonna be a pop up. There's a pop up. Okay, forget, forget. I literally, the first one got me so bad, I literally had to put up freaking like iron wheel walls around my mind just to prepare for the rest of the game for that stuff. And I heard that they took it out because it, it did get a little bit annoying in the game. And it was kind of like, okay, yep, it's kind of predictable now. Boom, boom, boom. All right, whatever. But I think the like the next biggest one it yeah the cynthia one was really good 
because I was like, oh, that's isn't that? I was like, wait, isn't she from like the first game? And immediately I was like, my mind, my mind like started to like think a bit. Wasn't ready for the for the jump scare. Got me really good. I was like, whoa, okay, good one there, game. You you're making us think. Oh, that's Cynthia from the first. Oh, oh, that's that's Cynthia no more. That's for sure. Yeah, um, the the pop-ups were scary, and then they got repetitive and kind of, like, predictable. In terms of gameplay, I think the scariest one I had in gameplay, and this is the last one I'll say, is probably, I think I was in, I think I was Alan, and I was in the counter, and I kept hearing all the, like, Alan, wake, wake. And I was during a fight, I think one of just the normal shadows came up behind me just the normal ones not the hostile ones and if the normal the, the, the non-hostile ones will actually grab you and throw awake and i heard i think it was like an audiobook but it was super loud in my ears when it said wake and it grabbed me i i literally i legit almost shit myself i was like what the hell I did not expect that at all, and I was like, because I completely ignored it, and I guess they like, sometimes roam towards you and will, like, interact with you. That was, like, probably the other big part in the game. Oh! Speaking of the mind place, well, this is the last one. Literally at the end of the game, when Saga's having her mental breakdown and her whole, her midlife crisis shit, I literally was, like, doing, like, the whole, like, going back and forth, getting the clues, and, like, oh, I'm a failure, I'm a this and this. And the jump scare, where the, the, uh, the, uh, the mask guy, whatever, like, attacks you, but disappears. That one was probably the worst one. Had to be the worst one. I think that one actually made me, like, stop the game for, like, five minutes just to recover. Because I was just, like... Sweating bullets, my heart was racing. I didn't know what to do. Yeah, those those like def those moments mostly stick out to me as like the biggest scary moments for me, honestly. In in my mind, uh, I would have to agree with one of those, like the taken and the mind place, because you you're, you're thinking to yourself, I'm secure in this entire time when I'm in here solving clues and riddles and everything else that nothing can attack me harm me or do anything in this area and i was uh sorely mistaken when i got to that part trying to solve the saga you know going through the breakdown and um thinking that our daughter's dead and and the shadows and the picture of our daughter disappearing on the board i'm thinking okay what the fuck's going on so i'm like i know in the dark place um that it was getting progressively worse with symbols and everything and trash everywhere and and i think the most notable example was the baby bed uh showing you know whatever it was with a saga's child's room uh just on the side and i'm like okay now her mind is all getting like just destroyed by this logic and i was expecting something and it still got me because I didn't know where it was coming from. As soon as I put that like final note on the wall and I saw the guy in the deer mask, I almost like fucking died. I'm like, okay, this is, this is a little too much for me at the moment. I thought I was safe. Oh no, apparently not. Uh, and then another good jump scare was the infirmary ward. Uh, seeing the top half, bottom half creature for the first time. I literally ran into that room and I saw it. 
and I was like, okay, I'm gonna just get the shadows off the wall. I didn't expect him to spawn. As soon as he spawned, he grabbed me, and I was just like, bro, what in fuck's name is this? Because you have a guy with like three arms, and then the bottom half is his head standing upwards, and he has three more arms. So I, I made a joke saying he looked like an octopus during my let's play, which was funny as fuck. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that thing got me good because when he popped out, I was not expecting it whatsoever. So those are like two of the biggest scares, in my opinion. And I guess like the beginning with the Nightingale Flash, that also kind of got me really good so that's like my top three scares so far suge it's your turn scariest moments in this whole game so i'm gonna be honest with you i didn't see any uh any person popping in the mind place towards the end i don't know if probably, I, I probably did something wrong because i don't remember getting jump scared by anything there yeah um, I, I don't know if it's random but i know i just looked at my film yeah <laughs> i didn't see anything yeah, I don't know if it's random, but yeah. sometimes a deer head guy can pop up in that final mm -hmm. section and he'll try to attack you and he'll disappear. Uh, so that can happen. Yeah, because I didn't Can I interject real quick like about that, that? Sure. So I believe, I think I, like, I've heard many reports, but the most common one is uh, the amount of times you access the wall, like the amount of time that you like touch the wall to like do the clues mm -hmm. and back out affects like the chances of it happening if i remember correctly is that's like the main factor of why it triggers is like, if you keep pressing back going back pressing back going back and uh -huh. the moment you turn around after so many presses then it triggers because oh I, I only ever did it when i grabbed everything interesting yeah. so if you grab everything so that uh -huh. like you just like beeline every uh like little clue whatever for that last bit it yeah. won't happen so basically, okay. if you're like frantic or it's kind of like Just a frantic check, like yeah. If you're doing if if you're like doing too slow, like yeah. oh you think you're safe, you're taking it slow. No. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but all right, all right, let's going back to the, like the scary stuff. I want to say Nightingale at first. Yes, his boss fight. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember exactly if I was running away from him and I turn around to heal and he just pops up in front of me out of nowhere. Or accidentally mind placed in the middle of the fight and I got hit out of it. I don't remember exactly. I might have to look at the, the footage. And uh, the other one, which, you know, it's like there's certain things in horror that I don't like. And one of them is dark pits like a well. And so um, Watery was probably one of my least favorite places more because it, it was the most scary place to me. Especially that fucking park. And any time that we had to, uh, whenever you're trying to fight the uh, the deputies, you, know, you have to go in basically a loop at all times, and then like you go back to the well, the well's full of blood, you get closer to it, and boom, you know, a fucking uh, static uh, jump scare. And I got I got hit by every single one of those, not a single one, you know, missed. And <laughs> that's probably one of like the scarier moments to me. Um, Definitely the 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 uh I guess the hospital or the just the the nurse area where you first meet those uh the the two bodies, All right? Let's call him the centipede dude, and uh those are scary to me mainly because of too many limbs. I I think having too many limbs kind of just you know scares the shit out of me, and 
not a big fan, especially with the fact that I had to put every single you know type of bullet that I have onto them to for them to just die. And uh, for sure, Cynthia. I think that whole entire thing with Cynthia and the and the fucking old people home was horrible. I hated going to the basement part. I think the basement was probably the most terrifying thing, even though nothing happens. Um, what else? Uh, with Alan, the subway. I think the subway was a, a big, big scary chunk, mainly because of one of the areas where you had to like turn off all the lights and go through the shadows. And uh, there's another one that I'm trying to remember, but I don't remember how exactly it happened. But I want to say that it's when uh, we return, we return to uh, to the world as Alan towards it like at the end and uh we go through the <laughs> through the little hospital at the old people home again before we get helped by rose and scratch comes out of nowhere that kind of that kind of scared me for like a, a good second because i was not expecting scratch to just come out of nowhere and try to stop me before going to the spiral room and another one that is just that was just dumb. It, it was like I was more into the fact that it was dark as shit, and I, you know, I was more like, "Oh, what's gonna happen? Something's gonna pop up." And I go to that spiral, uh, spiral door. I try to open, it and Ati comes out of his room. I'm like, "Oh, don't do that!" And it's like, "Oh, scared the shit out of me." Uh, Ati is scary at times because he pops out of nowhere. But uh, <laughs> that's pretty much it for like the scary moments, I guess. I also kind of agree with that. I'm like, this dude is in several random places and begins talking. I'm like, do you realize you just came out of a narrow space and you just scared the fuck out of me? Like, I had so many moments of that dude as well. I'm like, every time he shows up, I dread it because he always starts talking. And I'm like, you just came out of thin fucking blue, man. Especially the last time you see him in the infirmary war and he comes out of nowhere to open the door. And I'm just like, yeah. oh my fucking God, man. I have a feeling if they do DLC, they're going to experiment with the fact that he may be taken, and I wouldn't be surprised if he keeps popping up like that, and it just gets you at one point. But I think, uh, I, if, I, oh, sorry, I, uh, but I think the the way that it, he is explained might have to do with control. I think. Yeah. Oh yes, yes. Like I'm um, I'm almost a hundred percent sure that if if whenever I finish going through control, he gets to be explained in some way because he has to be one of those uh uh oops or however they call them i forget the, the and, way i describe him yeah. is kind of he's kind of like a god in a way Maybe. that's why i would describe him he's like a gag character at this point <laughs> a gag that like just sort of scares the fuck out of you. i mean I, like i know i knew he was in control but i didn't knew the extent of of his presence but I just know that the way Alan Wake 2 framed him each and every single time he shows up is super weird. Like, you're just expecting him to pop up out of the thin blue, which happened in the old folks' home, like, more than once. So I'm just like, at a certain point, I started to expect it, but then it, it got out of control at the end. I'm just like, oh, fuck, well, he still got me, even though I, I thought he was going to show up. Uh, but we're going to move on to the next question. So instead of like just the, you know, uh, scariest moments, what about the most exciting ones within the game? Like stuff that got you hyped, whether in gameplay or presentation and Bane, I'm going to let you go first. It, it's got to be Dark Ocean Summoning. Holy fuck, man. Uh, that essentially 
fighting out to uh, a amazing rock song is something this game's done. Well, the series has done a lot, but Dark Ocean Summoning is the best it's ever been. Um, the concert in the first game is great. Um, even even um, I just uh, even Herald of Darkness is great too. But Dark Ocean Summoning's fight. If that doesn't get you hype, you you're already a fucking corpse. All right, your heart's not fucking beating. <laughs> it's fucking great. I I love Dark Ocean Summoning the song. I love the fucking fight around it. I love everything you're doing to get scratched into that fucking like trying to get him into that fucking containment box. It's such a great segment of gameplay. That's all I got. I'm going to go with the same answer. I'm just going to be basic and say that uh, the band fights are probably some of the most hype moments of the game, especially Herald of Darkness. Just because I it was one of those things, too, where it's like I didn't really see coming. I, I thought, oh, you got this like super dark game. But then you have Alan in the dark place and it's just like, uh, OK, now they're going to play around a little bit. Now they're going to get a little bit surreal and start being a little bit wacky. And I actually thought it was a nice pace breaker for all the stuff going on. Like you have a really, really strong and mature story. And it's it's kind of like overwhelming in a sense. And now you have this funny little moment. And, and that's what I think Sam Lake does the most. Like he, he gives you time to breathe in the middle of this and i know it's not really like time to breathe in terms of like the gameplay because you're still fighting all these goddamn taken all over the place it's like still dozens of them but it's time to breathe in terms of like thematic and having fun with it and i think that's what that particular section accomplished for me it was really great and i i thought it was you know it was really cool like i know they had the band segment um children of the elder god in the first one and I'm kind of glad they brought that a little bit back and tried to say, hey, we're going to represent this in our own way with the gameplay in a different way with a new song. And it's just fucking, it's fucking slaps so hard. Uh, I can't give that segment any more praise than it deserves, really. Next up is Austin. All right. So other than the obvious hype moments, um, this one was a personal one of mine because... Again, this is going to go into the like the next couple of questions we're going to have about the uh, campaigns. But after the whole uh, big gauntlet fight, getting Scratch into the containment and then switching back to Alan Wake for what feels like one last rodeo. And that's what it just gives you that ceiling. And when you get back to Deerfest and the cutscene happens where Alan Wake is literally like lamenting like everything that's happened, that he screwed up that he should have done this, that pretty lamenting all his mistakes and all his faults. And he gets out of the car and they have the symbolism of the front cover of the first game with him holding the revolver and holding the flashlight. And then just the one of the best lines from from Alan Wake. And I was like, I was just I was like, dude, I've been waiting for this whole game. I wish we had it sooner, but man, they set it up pretty, really nice. And he says, like, fuck it. I'm going to do this. And I was like, yes! Yes! That is Alan Wake to a T. He may be some, like, weirdo writer, but when it comes down to it, he is one of the most badass motherfuckers on the fucking planet. 
that dude was willing to go back in little hell just to save and fix everything. Perfect. Peak shit right there. I was literally like, yes, yes, yes. And I was like, whoo, that's how you set up a finale. That's how you set up uh, technically a send off for a character. He's like, all right, everything's going to hell. Might as well just go in hell and fix it. Perfect. Loved it. I just, oh my god. That, literally, that that moment literally put Alan Wake 2 a little bit higher, in my opinion, in some of the aspects that I was disliking for the mo for, at the time. And I was like, alright, you got me good, game. You got me good with that one. You, you, gave me the, you gave me that little bit of fan service, and I'm very happy for that you did. Yeah, uh... That's that's like the biggest hype moment that I can think of at the moment. Maybe some other ones is like, you know, getting the crossbow or getting like the hunting rifle. Hunting rifle being the best weapon in the first game. You get it, and it's like, again, one of the best weapons in the game. You're like, okay, that's great. Um, like I said, the holdout with Saga and Fighting Scratch is pretty cool. I think... Huh. Yeah, honestly, that's... Other than like what people already said before, I think my personal favorite is literally a cutscene in the game, which is Alan Wake literally saying fuck it and goes to hell pretty much just to fix everything. Best moment right there. Also, that deer fest moment was crazy too, because I'm like, okay, these dudes got a bunch of knives out here, and they just start stabbing, and I'm like, okay, I got, I got a bell, I gotta get out of here. It's like a small segment until the end game, but I, I, I thought it was done kind of well because it's like really one of the rare moments where they introduce like a one-hit kill enemy, so it kind of got me the first time around. Not like exciting, but still shocking in a way because I wasn't expecting it. But Shug, how about you? Favorite moments within the game? So, I was one of those that by the time that whenever uh, December came up, you know, people already had done the Herald of Darkness thing, and I, I wasn't really too bothered about it. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm always somewhat expecting a musical show with with a remedy at this point. And so, um, I didn't get to Herald of Darkness until I was like maybe seven chapters in with saga you know <laughs> so it took me a very long time to even get to the point of herald of darkness and i was like i need to switch over to alan basically and i switched over and literally the, the chapter that i was on was the herald of darkness i'm a big fan of the herald of darkness just because it's like one of those weird moments where um i just think any of the mr door segments are probably one of those like it's like uh I don't know if we could really call it exciting, but it's like one of those that I I just like the, their interactions together and just having the Herald of Darkness part come out and just have them all kind of just weirdly interact with each other in a musical number is fucking hilarious. Um, Dark Ocean Summoning, of course. I love the old dudes. Um, <laughs> they're probably one of my favorite characters from the first game. And uh, I personally will not say that is my favorite part, mainly because I was just struggling the whole fight. I ain't gonna lie to you. It was a struggle fist for me, so I couldn't even focus on the music. I was just trying to live. Um, <laughs> I had like like ten rocket flares on me, and I just used those to survive. Um, so like the song, I not a single lick of attention I gave it. Um, but um, 
the part whenever towards the end where Alan is gonna go back into the to the dark place with the flash and all that stuff, I was hype as hell too because I was like, yeah, like, you know, we're we're he's you know he's stepping the fuck up, and uh, I just love the iconic shove with the flashlight. I I love that part. Um, I I don't think anything else is really hype besides the the reveal of Alan being Scratch whenever he's in the jail cell. I think that pro- that part was like, oh, you know, an oh shit moment, basically, of he's, you know, he's been here the whole time, and I was like, maybe guessing that it might have been the wrong Alan that we brought back, and then later on it gets kind of explained that he, you know, the Dark, uh, or Scratch took over him at some point because he just let him. So, I was more hype of the fact that he's just, you know, he just pop out of nowhere, and you don't really expect it to be actually Scratch there the whole time. So, I think just around those are like my favorite moments, I would say, in terms of excitement. All right, so we're moving on to the two gameplay characters uh, and their scenarios. What do you think about Saga Anderson's scenario in Alan Wake 2 in terms of um, just, you know, general concepts, ideas, whether it's like story, gameplay, anything at all? Bane, you are the first to go. Yeah, um, Saga, Saga's story is something that I, I, you can obviously tell this series has been inspired by Twin Peaks from the start. Um, it really does feel, um, incredibly Lynchian throughout the entire thing. It's, I don't know how to describe it other than it feels like a modern Resident Evil game. Like, if we, if we were to get, like, a full-on, like, reboot from the start of a series, I feel like this is how it would start. If that makes sense, but it Saga gets to you know have more of what Alan went through from the first game happen to her, and it's interesting seeing it from a different perspective. Someone who's not a writer, someone who is a cop, someone who has this combat training, which you know, despite all the shit Alan's been through, he is like technically you know, he's not handling the kind of shit that Saga's dealing with. You know, it's it's a different beast. But you've also got this side story of the story writing her family away from her. You know, it's an interesting concept of, yeah, Alan is desperate to get out so much that he's dragging people down with him, you know, and you get to see that through her side. It's it's pretty interesting. But uh, yeah, no, I, I think Saga was a great addition to the series. I know there's some people that at first were like, why, why do we have this split up? Why aren't we, you know like all 100% Alan and I'm like no I I kind of get why they did that and especially when you play through it you definitely understand why they have the story in parallel you know yeah that's all I got Austin what is your opinions on Saga's scenario okay so Saga's scenario first and foremost I did not hate it I liked it I actually did enjoy it However, I will say the one thing that I think that I just that gripes that like grinds my gears the most is that I feel like Saga drags on a little too long. And for a game that's called Alan Wake 2, it's 75% Saga. <laughs> and that's not like not, not essentially a bad thing. I just felt like the, how they like perceived the trailers and the marketing for this game, it felt like, yeah, we're going to get Saga, but we're also going to get just as much as Alan Wake stuff. And when you play Saga, hers is, it's funny because 
if this is sort of going to the Alan Wake scenario, but if you compare the two, Saga's more of an actual adventure game. Hers is more of like an adventure game where you kind of like kind of like an adventure open world game half the time. I guess that's where a lot of like the like quote unquote padding comes in. Like I said, I did not hate her campaign or her side of the campaign. I did not. I actually did enjoy lots of it. I just felt like it dragged on in some parts. I felt like there it shouldn't have been majority of the game should should not have been her. Because it got to the point where she had some weird character moments to where I was like, okay, why are they taking her in this direction? And then they kind of like subvert those expectations at near the end to where like, okay, they they it's like they're breaking the fourth wall here. They know that she's acting a little weird. She's acting stupider than she should be because she's supposed to be like this really good detective, this very good agent. And now she's starting to like screw up here and there. Like that doesn't make sense. And then they're like, oh, yeah, we get we understand why people feel this way. It's literally at the end, like near the end of the game. Like, yeah, she's she's like even explaining to herself. Yeah, I'm f why am I messing up? Why am I doing this? I'm like, OK, thank God that they actually know like some of the weird stuff that goes on. It's all intentional. Good. That kind of saves the character for me quite a bit. Because I was like, Saga, I was like, okay, Saga starts off very nice. I actually dig her style. I, she's a little, you know, a little more aggressive than I thought she was going to be. But then I kind of mellowed out and was like, all right, she's cool. Her gameplay is great. I think she, again, she gets majority of the weapons. That's because she's 75% of the game. So she gets like nearly twice as many weapons as Alan does. And she gets some of the most fun weapons in the game, unfortunately. But she, again, I was having fun just switching between like crossbow to hunting rifle to pistol to shotgun. It, it was a great time. I think overall, I would say out of the, the entire campaign, I think 85% of it, I actually really enjoyed. And then 15% I felt like could have been either cut or done differently than just tacked on, to my opinion. But overall, I, I like Saga as a character. I feel like we should try to move away from her and try to focus maybe on, I don't know, like a different character, like maybe Artie or somebody else, somebody who maybe even a new character that might be interesting to have. But I'm, in my personal opinion, I'm a little bit over Saga, and I feel like we should move on to either somebody else. That's my opinion, though. All right. Uh, my opinion on Saga. Well, it feels like her campaign is a lot more of a methodical slow burn adventure where it's like once again dense woods dense areas uh large like sort of um townscapes where you're going around and the incentive is to you know explore and also get nursery rhymes and other stuff in the environment uh to do all this wide array of crazy shit within the game and I, I i do dig that i understand that it's a bit more of a wide linear premise than what you're normally used to for some of these games like this uh but it, it was fun it was fun going around exploring figuring out like putting the pieces together within the game because her perspective is detective and alan wake is writer so he already knows like half the shit he's plotting and, and and trying to get through the dark place as quick as possible at the same time i i did not like how they handled a lot of stuff with the profiling i i feel especially during the end where you're trying to solve the plot board 
get all the clues and it just kind of overstays as welcome like you're you're constantly trying to put stuff on the plot board over and over and over again and i felt like maybe i, I said this in the playthrough i felt like maybe that segment could have been trimmed down to like maybe five more minutes and it would have had the same effect of oh now she's going insane berserk crazy and and everything doesn't make sense whereas it, it didn't need to drag on for like five more minutes that's that's the first thing that i i did not like is some profiling aspects kind of drag out a little bit and now i i get why they did this she is a detective it makes sense for the theme but at the same time i also felt like you know the game tried to stick it on the clues and i was already like well ahead of them it's like oh i forgot to read like one note even though i had a key item in order to progress through the door then I had moments where it's like, okay, I have the key item. I can get through here. Oh, I need to read the clue in order to figure it out in full because the game would not let me progress to go forward. I had like several moments like that. And I'm just like, all right. The thing I like more about RE is that if you already figured it out, you don't need things like the mind place in order to get through a certain door or a certain level. You could just sort of go through it because you have the item. Uh, I felt that way with uh, finding the stuff in Scratch's like cell. I was like, I have everything I need, every singular thing to, to go through with this, but I, I needed one piece of paper in order to progress. And I found that to be a little bit annoying. Other than that, she has the most guns, the most enemies, the most bosses. It's like they gave her all the keys of the kingdom and this will kind of bleed into why there's criticisms with alan wake's campaign because there's not enough that they gave him as opposed to giving him stuff that saga had it, it should have felt like two separate and distinct campaigns where one person if you play with them you get like at least 100 percent of the game through and through and you might get some intersections here where their story intertwines and uh, that's it like re2 did it so I, I don't see why this game uh didn't but i also understand again they're trying to uh make this uh their own thing and, and and make it completely different so i can cut them some slack for that but i i do have ups and downs with it overall it was good but some stuff just overstays its welcome suge what about you what do you think of saga's campaign so I'm pretty much in agreement with the profiling, I want to say, because um, when playing with her, uh, normally I I just pick up the papers, and if I'm recording it, you know, I, I pause it, quote-unquote, read it, and uh, just keep going. I, I like My first instinct is not go to the mind place to organize all this shit, you know? Um, so... Normally, after either I'm recording or if I start like a whole new session, I I do all this shit to like to begin it, you know, and um, I will 100% agree with you that it kind of drags on. Uh, it normally took me a, about five to ten minutes to go through almost everything, at times. Um, I would say the profiling. I think it takes a little bit too long normally, especially towards I want to say towards the last couple of, of profilings that you had to do, especially with the alternate saga, um, where you, you have, like, maybe eight prompts or so, and it's like, you know, you're kind of, you know, doing a little bit too much here. Um, we get that uh, 
she's having conflicts mainly because of how she's being written inside, you know, the dark place and whatever. So you kind of already understand it, but it kind of keeps making you keep asking the fucking profile. Um, the only times I think that didn't really bother me was whenever you're ha- you're gonna have to fight a boss and you have to profile them to kind of you know figure out where they're at or figure out how to get to them. That's probably the only times that I actually liked it. Um, but at times it it doesn't really like I don't I just didn't was not a big fan of it. I understand that she's a detective and all that and uh and it was just I don't know it just took too long at times and it was just like me sitting there listening and I'm more like I want to you know jump back in there and keep going. Um, with Alan you don't really get it too much, but you know that's the next question. Um, so. Weapons-wise, I honestly, I hated the crossbow, so I got rid of that shit as quick as I could. Um, mainly because I died like three times with it. So, kind of just gave up even trying to use it. Um, I just want to say that <laughs> I think my biggest problem with her was the fact that I barely ever had any ammo. Like, I, I think more of the struggle was combat-wise, to me. Um... Story-wise, she didn't really bother me too much. I think I see it as more of, you know, it's a mother that suddenly out of nowhere finds out that her life is completely changed, you know, to when she got there. Um, And you kind of, like, I'm sure you probably don't really resonate much with it because you don't probably have a family or anything like that. So you're kind of just like, "Eh," you know, I don't really give a shit about your kid. But... You know, I kind of just understood her a little bit. It's like, I understand why you're going, you know, insane, always calling and whatever, and, you know, and trying to figure out what's going on. But it gets to a point where it's like, you're being told this already, like, maybe four or five times. Give up. You know, like, you know what's happening. You know that if the people already have told you that your child is dead and you're you're mentally a fucking mess, that um, you shouldn't be trying to call your uh, your ex-husband almost every chapter kind of deal so like there was just bits and parts that kind of annoy me at the fact that she's getting told what you know what is actually going on and i understand that the fact that she's more worried about what is real or not but maybe they could have just made her not call and trying to you know uh desperately find out what's going on even though people have told you millions of times that it's this that's happening and at some point you already kind of know that alan is already messing with you as it is so there was a couple times where you just you know or you get tired of her but i enjoyed playing as her uh the boss fights yeah i mean they're kind of lacking compared to alan uh or not lacking but like alan lacks a lot compared to uh saga in boss battles um especially with the fact that she does them all um yeah um <laughs> i i just i kind of wish they would have i think maybe had more options in terms of boss enemies i would say maybe give them like each the same amount and not have them all in one side but i guess it had to do with how the dark place works i don't know that one issue with apparently you know her being told she's in the story constantly questioning it and other people are saying otherwise it to to me that got annoying when you keep talking to the rose character i i said it in the playthrough i wanted to smack her in the head with a pistol because it was it happened each and every single time oh i believe something to happen otherwise i'm going to question it over and over again but saga's still determined to 
say, oh, oh nothing is wrong after being told this like 100 times from that character. And I, I just wanted to it hit Rose with a pistol. I was just like so irritated at that rate uh, because it was the same song and dance in like almost every chapter. But that's the only time I really like felt it super hard. But yeah, I, I do get the other stuff as well. Uh, but we're going to move on to Alan's sort of campaign and how we feel about his Bane. I want you to go first. Uh, yeah. So Alan's, um, setup is kind of, I, I don't know how to describe his kind of dark place other than it's kind of, uh, it reminded me a lot of, of Evil Within 2, you know, uh, Evil Within 2 was... Like has this weird uh, location. I can't remember the name of it. I'm kind of high right now. But, you know, you're inside a mind and, and the world kind of fucks around and shifts often. And The Dark Place does that a lot. And I, I love the visuals of it. I love this kind of New York, but like painted over and bleak. Oh, uh, Stim. Th thank you. Uh, thank you, Ren. Uh, yeah, Stim and Evil Within 2 was this weird shifting world and the dark place kind of hits that a lot in this game because you'll like you'll turn down a hallway and then you'll turn back oh that hallway is now fucking four times as big or you know these looping little areas it's really cool um alan uh, of course we said around here alan kind of has a short campaign but I, I love the world of the dark place. I love the combat. I love the fake out shadows because the fake out shadows are not something of a first game. Every shadow you see is there to kill you. So if you played that first game multiple times over the years, you instinctively are like, oh, fuck. And you waste a half your like waste half your flashlight having these shadows just disappear on you. And in a way, it's kind of interesting. I wish like. I don't know. Alan's campaign is really cool, visually impressive. Um, it is shorter. I wish it was, I I do wish this game was longer in some places, but um, I love what we got. You know, uh, that's I'm gonna let everyone else talk for a bit. All right, Austin, it is your turn. What do you think of Alan Wake's campaign? So, like I said before, Saga is like seventy five percent of the game, and so Alan's twenty five percent of the game. That 25% of the game is literally what I wanted for the entirety of this game. As much as like I, I did enjoy Sagas, I rather prefer a full Alan-sided game because this is just Evil Within 2, but better. This is just Evil Within 2, but I actually enjoy exploring the world more. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. It literally had some of the... It, it had what what Evil Within 2 had, which is creative level design, but it did not overstay its welcome. It had, like, creative puzzles. It had... It literally was, like, the true survival horror experience I was hoping for to get in Alan Wake 2 for majority of the game. Fortunately, we did not get that, but it still was enjoyable overall. Alan Wake's side is short but sweet. He has literally some of the most broken upgrade paths and some of the most broken like synergies of abilities and weapons which is the revolver again the revolver be being like the best weapon in the game which is you can have your last shot nearly pretty much do double damage you can do almost like 50 percent more damage up close with that shot you can 
get a refund of that bullet 15% chance at max level. And it's like, yeah, Alan Wake literally has like the more fun aspect of the game in terms of abilities. He does not have the best weapons in the game. You know, like he does get the flare gun, which is amazing. He has the revolver, which is arguably the best weapon in the game, other than like the hunting rifle or the crossbow, if you know how to use it. Um, yeah, I, I think story wise, it was more intriguing watching Alan's perspective and how you, you when you learn his side of the story, you figure out like, OK, how did why did he write Saga into the story? And then you kind of get the feeling that maybe it was Scratch kind of influencing him in a way. Because without Saga, Scratch would never made it to the beach. So in my in my own personal opinion, I feel like the whole idea that, oh, Alan gets all this crap because he ruined everything. I was like, uh, I think after beating the Dark Place for like, what, 10, 11 years? Or th it was like 13 years. Like it was supposed to be like in line with the whole uh, how long the game it took. And that he kind of lost his mind a little bit and Scratch kind of, you know, corrupted him or was tainting him. So I wouldn't put all the blame on him. He literally was stuck inside what is their perpetual hell for 13 years and constantly battling a force that was trying to take over him. There's again, story DLC might explain that more and or fix it or explain more of the whole overreaching story. But all in all, the best part of the game was Alan's campaign. It was short but sweet. And if they do DLC, I just want an Alan DLC so bad. Just full on Alan. I might I might be biased because I really love Alan and I just love his character to death. But I really miss playing his stuff. <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let somebody else. Okay, so it's, it's my turn. Uh, I enjoyed Alan's campaign. I, I feel as though the thing with this campaign that's cool is this otherworldly dark presence within the campaign and how you know shadows aren't real shadows are real you never know it's a sense of what i would like to call a, a lot of misdirections in his campaign which makes it very interesting uh you never know what's around the corner what's going to happen and honestly being in that world at least was really really good uh because you never know what was going on in the twisted and corrupt version of new york uh that being said it really blows to say that it is true the the shortcomings of his campaign is the ones where of course he doesn't get as many weapons he doesn't get as many segments and he doesn't get as many bosses compared to saga the moments that he does have is still pretty good and i would say his profiling section is a lot more better because you're writing in events that occur whether it's like getting clues from a crime scene and what he sees it's very easier to do so you just swap the numbers or, or, or the letters and it changes the entire scene and you might get like a very upset scene which makes the gameplay interesting a lot more interesting when you change it up and you see there might be blood or a trail of like dead bodies or ways to open certain doors it makes you think environmentally 
and that's one of the better parts of that gameplay is where you're thinking environmentally where to go what to do and what will spawn in the process because when you change those like letters there is enemies sometimes there I, I think it happened the most in the theater where scratch is like you get the notion that he's the devil when you change those words like near the entrance there is dark place enemies all over the place and i'm just like oh my fucking god this is absolute insanity but it really works within the context of the game and it's an idea that i hope they constantly do in the dlc honestly at this rate just make both dlcs focused on alan and i think that's like fair enough right at the same time uh yeah uh, you have the dancing segment the more sort of trippy spiraling sections where you're not sure what's real is real uh, i think it was cool they did loops where you're, you're thinking okay i go through this door and i go straight and everything's fine but no you're in the same room again but they may change it a little bit that happened when you're trying to discover how to get out of the movie theater section and Casey's like in the chair tied up, but he's saying he's Sam Lake. And I thought that shit was really fourth wall breaking insane. I'm like, okay, now it's like, oh, I'm the innocent Sam Lake. I'm I'm not the one that's behind the story whatsoever. Oh, you're gonna kill me with this knife? Well, I'm gonna disappear. And then it makes you go, what the fuck is going on? Uh, so I, I really enjoyed the mind fuckery of playing with Alan Wake and uh, some of the sections, even though minuscule, is still some of the best segments of the game i just wish it was more of it which is my criticism of that section now we're gonna go with shook on this question what do you think of the alan wake portions of the game so one of the things that i love about alan is his narration um it's probably one of those things that actually kind of just keeps me focused a lot more and more interested in the story um and it's one of those things that saga didn't really do um, or do much of, and uh, I just I, I I don't know I just kind of enjoy his voice. I think his voice narrating stuff that's happening is probably one of the coolest things ever, especially whenever in the first game he did it a lot more. But um, when it when it comes to story, I think his story was much more interesting because of the twists and turns that you really discover throughout the game, especially with the with Zane. And uh, I found it hilarious that, you know, two of the same person inside one room was playing different people was hilarious to me. And uh, the Sam Lake popping up and I was like, this is weird as hell. You know, you have Sam Lake randomly pop in and like, oh, no, I'm just the actor playing Casey. And it's like, OK, that makes even more sense. It's fine. Um, <laughs> uh but I think my favorite parts with uh, with Alan would probably be those interactions that he had with Mr. Door, especially the last one, where you can see the door kind of has something against Alan, especially with the fact that he says, oh, you're messing with a loved one out there, and I don't like that kind of deal. And I was like, I kind of just like put two and two together, and I was like, wait, you know, is Dor uh, Saga's dad in some way? And he found himself inside the Dark Place at the same time with Alan? And might, I, might he have been a victim of an earlier interaction of the Dark Place when, uh, with Zane, uh, when Zane uh, had his uh, shit happen? So, like, I kind of just started trying to figure out what they would do with that. 
in some way maybe uh, insert in, into a DLC kind of deal. Um, but yeah, like his his thing, the weapons. Uh, weapons. I honestly only ever really used the fucking shotgun and the pistol and the flare gun. Nothing really too uh, too different. Um, I, I didn't really normally use too many of the guns, mainly because I don't want to have clutter in my inventory. So three guns is enough. Um, but I will say that I, I did get an abundance of a lot of weapon, like ammo and other things where I think for both, it's just that I mainly didn't really use them a lot, especially with the, uh, I think the charms for Saga were kind of a bit overwhelming. So, you know, that was like one of my complaints of her, but, um, going back to Alan, uh, his words of power, I think they're pretty interesting, especially some of them where, oh, you'll find another word of power and you get 100% health. So I upgraded the fuck out of that one pretty quick. Um, his The fake shadows, I, I always shot first. You know, he, uh, at first. You know, whenever <laughs> whenever you first start playing as Alan, I, I always shot them motherfuckers. You know, I, I, I wasted the, the battery and, and everything because they would spook the shit out of me. I, I never actually expected them to be, you know, some fake ones and some real ones at a time. Um, his interactions with uh, what's his name? Uh, Sheriff Baker. I called him the Ice Man because it's Ice Man, and uh, I I just liked how they both kind of interacted. And someone was like, "Oh yeah, you you know, I remember you because I investigated all your stuff from you know way back then before I became a sheriff or whatever, or I heard from my sister or cousin or whatever." So, um. I just like that his little interactions with different kinds of characters, uh, the way that he can make the story change in specific areas of a of a room, and uh, having to communicate with somebody to actually tell you or explain you to what happened, or having to you know do those uh, those I forget what they're called whenever the visions that you align to have the Casey uh, stuff pull up, and I like how Casey popped in real quick. Uh, Towards the beginning, it got fucking mauled. So, um, I just like the randomness of how how everything kind of worked out with Alan's story. Um, you never really know what to expect. You you don't really expect some of these characters to pop in or be helpful in some way, because like you have uh, the sheriff, which he was pretty much almost in every single type of area that you would discover, and he'll be like, "Hey, I have some stashes around. Look them up." You know, and then like he, the board with him, with him investigating door, and you kind of figure out how you know, uh, where what happened with him. And you kind of just like, kind of just put things together when you discover some of these things around. Um, but I think out of all those interactions, the stuff with Alice I think was very interesting because of the fact that she was kind of still looking for him, or trying to forget about him, but the dark place didn't allow it. And she was getting tormented. Um, and that kind of, like, I get, I don't know for sure if she's actually dead or not at this point. And made Alan, you know, just completely lose his mind and give up. And that's how Scratch took over. Um, so yeah, I just like how, how his story played out more, mainly because, I don't know, I just like, it was more random. You know, and with Saga, it was more just a lot of just go here and <laughs> do this. And there you go. But yeah, like I, I think I thoroughly enjoyed more of Alan, mainly just because I have, of course, favoritism. But I didn't really hate Saga that much, you know. So I'm like, I'm okay with both. I was fine with it. 
all right we're gonna move on to uh some speculation about the story and the ending and the two dlcs so we naturally know that they have two story dlcs planned what was your interpretation of the ending and the story and how will you think it will lead into that and i'm gonna go with bane first yeah um well one thing i, I do want to describe the the descriptions of a dlc if that's okay real quick Sure. Uh, so for, for the first one, it's titled Night Springs, and the official description is <clears throat> Visions and dreams. Fictions is written and coming true. Fiction collapses and remains just words on a page. These are stories in Night Springs. Play as several familiar characters in a world of Alan Wake and experience the unexplicable in multiple self-contained episodes of Night Springs, a fictional TV show set in the world of Alan Wake. And then... Expansion 2, uh, Lake House, the description is, The Lake House is a mysterious facility situated on the shores of Cauldron Lake, set up by an independent government organization to conduct secret research until something goes wrong. Now, um, my speculation is, Night, Night Spring, there's a lot of people currently in the dark place, right? We know of uh, Breaker, we know of uh, the Andersons, um, we know of Mr. Door. We know of Tom Zane, we know of um, Casper Darling. All of these people are in the dark place right now. My theory is Night Springs is to get at least some of them out of the dark place. Uh, that's my theory on the, the DLC there. My, my theory for uh, the lake house is that that is another maybe Saga and Anderson alternating, much like the main game. Where it's like you alternate between both of them. But I got a feeling the Lake House is going to be like one of the control DLCs level expansive. Like really big, adds this whole new kind of play space we haven't seen in either of these two areas. Like either Dark Place or, uh, um, God damn it, I just drew a Blake, Bright Falls. Um, so, so you might see an entirely different kind of gameplay in both of these chapters. That's my speculation. I, I think everything's coming from a final draft, which we'll talk about later, but like that would explain so much of where certain characters are by the end of the story. Uh, that's my take. Hmm, what about you, Austin? What is your sort of analysis and interpretations on what the DLCs will be? So... Uh, I didn't really know much or heard much about the DLCs that were kind of like leaked and kind of like, you know, described just as how Bane was talking about. So just to get like my rough thoughts on everything. So Night Springs definitely sounds like an Alan Wake sort of, especially since it's like the characters of Alan Wake like in this like DLC and you'll be playing them or interacting with them or whatever. And how the ending, I mean, because if, if we're going off the first ending, not the final draft, it leads into that Alan Wake is still in the dark place, and he is still trying to write some kind of ending, or try to at least keep things at bay again. Don't know if that's going to last for long, so these DLCs might go into that like mentality, like that mentality of like, oh, it's, a, it's not a loop, it's a spiral. And that's what I thought going into the final draft, like, oh, it's a spiral, so yada yada. But if, if we're continuing off the first, like, first draft, the first ending, it would it would lead, lead more into um, how 
yeah, maybe Saga, Saga Anderson and um, Casey are. So Saga Anderson and her family and Casey are technically completely written out of the story. It, it, it seems to me that they're written out of the story. They're safe, quote unquote, safe from the dark place and quote unquote, scratch. That means the, the loose ends for Alan Wake to deal with is if we're going to do the Night Springs DLC, like what Bane said, probably help or get people out of the dark place because they don't deserve to be there. Um, if I had to assume, maybe Night Springs also gives us more of like door lore. <laughs> door lore. Uh, more in the sense of that gives us just more context. Whose door? Maybe doors this. Um, get like Tim out of there. Get um, both uh, the the old guards of Isgard out of there. I that to me that sounds the most plausible like case for the DLC for the lighthouse DLC or whatever. I can agree it might be a saga because I'd be like that sounds like maybe that's like the outside world kind of DLC. I don't know that one. I can't really uh, go t too deep because that's just more of a vague idea I got in my head. But I hope I hope both DLCs at least have Alan to some degree. Preferably more than half of the uh, DLCs is Alan Wake, but that's just me. So yeah, I could be a little bit more on the fence that it seems like Night Springs is going to be an Alan, more of an Alan focus one. So, and then the Lighthouse, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a uh, saga DLC, but we'll see. Yeah, my my opinion is, and I'm gonna make this real quick. Is I kind of will go with you guys uh, where it seems like nice springs is the one that focuses a lot more on the dark presence and the dark place and all of these people it, it sounds like multiple playable characters in this reoccurring place of i'm stuck here i can't get out i think the story is going to correlate around that and also probably offer up some explaining because in the story from what i noticed they're heavily implying that not only that the old gods like they went in front of us in the lake and they went to the dark place they disappeared into there and i saw them uh there's also the fact that warland door is apparently quote unquote related to saga and i'm not sure if they're going to delve into those details but apparently he can also step in between the real world and the dark place whenever the fuck he wants so I'm I'm imagining that's going to be a little bit more explained as time goes on in that DLC with their relations and what these people are doing and how him and, you know, the stuff with Breaker saying, oh, I see him in my dreams. That needs to be described because it's dialogue I caught, it's dialogue that I, I have fresh on my mind and in my notes, but at the same time, it's just like not really further explained uh in certain places so i i guess they can talk about breaker and all the other people that are stuck in between the dark place uh go ahead bane oh I, I will say this there for those who don't know there is a lot of connection between uh door and and breaker and a few other characters to quantum break and that's kind of something i just wanted to bring up in the sense of you know in that game there is a lot of ties to essentially correcting timelines and all and i think some of that will connect in later for the dlc because there's 
a lot of nods between uh, Breaker being the char- uh, character Jack Joyce from uh, Quantum Break, Martin Hatch being Mr. Door. There are a lot of parallels that I think they may reference in that. That, that is something I want people to remember. Uh, just something I wanted to bring up real quick. Sorry. Oh, no problem. Uh, then there is, uh, I would assume they're going to tease Wake and the Spiral. I mean, at this point with the original ending, they kind of have to uh, talk about that or at least set that up for the next game. I, I know in detail, we're not going to get the rest of that until Control 2, uh, especially the culmination in the lighthouse. But for the first part with Night Springs, I, I would imagine that they're going to talk about how Wake needs to not destroy himself or entities like him, like Scratch, to try to rise from the dark place. Uh, Alice talked about him ascending and to find out the means of that, I guess, means embodying the light because she said he has like two choices. He already embodied the dark with Scratch and, you know, inhaling what Scratch was and giving up essentially. Now he needs to find the light to get out. And I would imagine that whole spiral loop thing is gonna be further explained as his escape, his final escape, begins as for lighthouse i think that's more clear on the 10 they're telling us essentially federal outbreak gone wrong and i think this is gonna focus on the federal bureau of control it's no other way that i think this is something else it's definitely gonna be those people estevez casey you're gonna be dealing with those people and how they deal with awes which is you know to me that's interpreted as outbreaks of the dark presence all around the state of, you know, the US or anywhere of that matter, how they sort of handle it. And I think this outbreak is going to handle itself on this facility that they're talking about right here, uh, which is gonna lead to some control tie-ins. There's gonna be a lot of those. I would not be surprised if you see uh, Fadden in this DLC, which I mean, <laughs> you're obviously probably gonna get a hint here or there. I mean, it makes sense if she was in the AWE control DLC and, and, and being the main character and all that and you have Alan Wake she's probably going to be in this one and you see some background story with her and how they're trying to handle this situation before this whole facility plummets and goes to shit so that's what I think of those, t- those DLCs and how they'll be handled into each other um, it could be some curveballs but yeah there is still lingering lore and stuff they need to explain behind that but Shug, it is your turn. What do you think of the story leading into the DLC and what's your interpretation on everything? Um, you know, like I said, um, I, I would like to, to have more of a deep dive into Mr. Dora. I think he was probably one of those, like, probably the most intriguing character to me, uh, mainly because of how mysterious he was. Um, I would love to see more connections towards the other games. Uh, I, I'd probably lose it if, you know, just for the shits and giggles, Jack Joyce pops up in, in, in a DLC at some point, you know. Um, the actor is a twin, so, you know, he could have his brother play him, basically. So, like, it doesn't really um, doesn't really hinder anything like that. But uh, I, I would just like to have, maybe if, you know, if it has, one of the DLCs has to do with the FBC, I would, I would see how, again, I haven't finished Control yet, so I don't really know if she either lives or not. But I, I would love to see Jesse, you know, pop up and maybe Dylan if he's alive too, um, and see how Faden just deals with all the shit there because she's the director, I guess. Um, and 
just seeing how how they would work out trying to take these people out of there. Um, uh, but I don't know. Like like I said, it's like I I want more into character story, but if it has to deal with a lot more of just taking these people out of there and having to deal to find maybe a way to close the dark place for good or get rid of Scratch entirely. Um, who knows? Um, but I just, I, I don't know. I, I, it's one of those, like, open books that you don't really know what's going to happen until it does. And uh, you just have to sit there and figure out on yourself, you know, just trying to not hype yourself too much or, you know, kind of just... Uh, <laughs> Uh, just guess too much and bring yourself to disappointment when it does come out differently to what you expect. So, like, I want these things, but I'm not the developer, I'm not the creator, so I, I'm not really expecting much when it comes to uh, what I think, but I I would just think it would be pretty cool to have more uh, more development or more information on Door if he's actually Scratch or he himself is the Dark Place, you know, um, would be interesting to find out. Uh, especially if he has powers himself of going in and out, and to see if he actually is Saga's dad, I kind of, I kind of felt that whenever he had that last interaction with Alan, I kind of hope it's right or I'm right, and uh, yeah, it's like I, I just want to see more, uh, more of a deep dive into some of these mysterious characters, and maybe bring in some of the some of the others from the Remedy universe, basically. Um, <laughs> it'd just be pretty cool and interesting, I guess. Yeah, I I definitely do think with the way the story kind of ended, it is like for the FBC, they already know this Dark Place thing is more of a problem than it's worth, uh, which is why uh, they were all there, like, just trying to do their best to help Saga out. But I, I do think more people are going to get involved. It's going to turn into a bigger thing, and the AWEs are going to keep cropping up regardless because they kind of left it open-ended for that to occur lighthouse is definitely going to be all about that and this whole facility that's like embodying like the whole dark presence this place is fucked like i i i i think it's going to be like is all over that place and it's just going to be pure chaos which is what i want to see from a gameplay perspective but moving on to the next question this is about the new game plus ending final draft they had a new ending for new game plus you go back you play it you get an alternate view as to what happens to alan and the story and i want to ask people what are their thoughts on how it occurred and their interpretation and i'm going to go with bane first sorry i meant to hit the button there um i i, I really think that that ending it sets up a lot in the future for us i think that yeah, even the, just the last lines of the master of many worlds sets up a lot. Germany has wanted to make this a connected universe for a while now. <clears throat> um, like Alan Wake 1 has references to Max Payne, but Qu Quantum Break especially, and then Control, really does expand this world into being like, oh, okay, there's, there's a lot of cyclical things that are kind of connected to each other, but I also think they've done it in a way that feels cohesive looking back. You know, it, it they're, they're looking forward for what they want to do by making sure that everything that they've done in the past is set up for the future. I don't know if I'm describing that well, 
but like c control for people who haven't played control there's a character that you see a lot in cutscenes named casper darling he's voiced by the same guy that does he's actually acted by the guy who does the voice of alan wake but these characters are connected they it's interesting, they're doing weird new shit, and I think the final draft ending sets us up for whatever they're going to do with Control 2, because there's going to be Control 2. It, it's setting up a world of games that are kind of trying to do what the MCU did for a long time, which is all of these little nods actually mean something. All of these little winks are actually flowing towards something and not just, not just winks, which is impressive. And that's really all I have to say right now. All right, I'm gonna go real quick. I I I think personally, this was a more happier ending, honestly. And I guess just the way the story was pivoting and and the way it was going, and how they were like, oh well, someone has to pay a price because that's the nature of the horror story. That's part of the trope. Alan has to write this final segment to be what it is. I think if they included this in the final game, it would have been kind of a hard pivot, but made sense to the overall, like, it, it felt like a conclusion to me more than just something of a normal continuation. It, it felt like Alan finally got ownership of, you know, all his words and everything and, and, and mostly was in a better place than he was and probably went after Alice for a happier ending. And, and you know, they toyed and teased with stuff like that and scenarios like uh, American Nightmare where um, it was or whatever the DLC was called standalone with him and the trucker plaid and he was going after Alice. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think the thing with that ending is that it's a good ending. It's a, it's a great ending, but it is in terms of continuing like certain things and continuing this like spiral, uh, it sort of leaves it a little bit closed. Uh, what I thought was that Alan, if he's the bearer of many worlds, then it's probably equivalent to what door was doing where he's like this entity that could just step in between he does what he wants. And he knows a lot more than certain people, even though he's in the dark place. Uh, but he seems like, you know, totally fine and, and stuff like that. So it seems like he's, he knows more than he's leading on. And I think this is a mastery of people who can do both with stepping in the real world whenever they want and the dark place. Uh, and that's what that ending might have like sort of confirmed with the way they were going. He's embodying the light, which is you know the bearer of many worlds i i think it's fine for what it is it sets up lore as well which is probably why they retrofitted it for the game to show this is what alan could be capable of if he learns the light if he has it embraced and and that's a very strong prospect as well as you know showing how far he's willing to go and symbolize his love for alice i thought it was very touching but in terms of going anywhere, it could be a wink and not for the future. But right now, they're going from the original ending, and then we'll see what sort of happens after the fact. I do think, in the back of his mind, Sam Lake knows he wants to make a third game, and it feels like this ending would be suitable for that game if he got to that conclusion. Just saying. Anyway, I'm going to let Austin go next. What do you think of this final draft DLC ending? 
There we go. There's a button. Uh, the final draft DLC ending. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm not sure if many people picked up on, but when you go through the final draft, like playthrough, there's more than like one instance in both playthroughs from Alan and Saga's perspective that stuff has happened already. There's moments where Saga's like, she has a different line of dialogue. Almost the word where she's like, uh, she's like, there's like an instance when you reach like the nursing home and something happens and she literally is like, yeah, that's weird. Like, I felt like she was going to say that or something along those lines. It's been a while from my memory, but there's there's a, more than one instance on both sides of the playthrough where they question the game. Pretty much they question the scenario they're in they're like I've done this before or like this is familiar or something along the lines like it's slightly different and they 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 like they say that like they said something different like some uh character that they're interacting says something different and they comment on that like very subtly very subtly it's like a minor change and it all hints at that this is technically like a sequel to the main game of 2 of Alan Wake 2 it's sort of like a pseudo sequel to where like Things have already happened, we're going on again. And that's what leads into the ending to the final draft, which is that it it does show that Alice, when she killed herself, she took a photograph of herself doing it. Well, she jumps off a cliff, and if you look at the cliff, and the, again, this is also, there's little differences too in the whole final draft, so I think there's little instances that Alice is present. You're like, why is she present? Well, it's because you see that the cliff that she jumped off to is most likely to the fucking lake, Cauldron Lake. It it kind of resembles it in the picture. It's a little, like, fuzzy because it's all black and white, but it resembles it in a way. And so that's that's kind of my theory. That's what I believe. That's why she's in the dark place in the first place is that she jumped into uh, Cauldron Lake because that's, like, where it all started and everything. And she's, like, trying to find Alan because deep down she kind of knows he's in there. And that's why she kind of shows up and protects Alan throughout the story. And that's why you kind of get, like, little flashes and visions of her during the game. And you're like, Alice, like, what's she doing here? It's because she's in the dark place, and she's actually alive. She's not really dead. And so that's why I think the final draft ending, in my personal opinion, does close the door on certain possibilities, but also leaves some open. It's like, yeah, Scratch is dead, but that doesn't mean the dark place is finished. It just means that Alan is kind of now free to try to solve the dark place and try to free whoever's still in there without the pressure of Scratch trying to invade his body, trying to destroy the world and essentially all that and like make a, a, a completely throw the world in chaos. That's what I actually, that's what I felt like I interpret from the ending. But. Yeah, I in my personal opinion, I think the final draft ending is great. I that's the ending I would prefer. It just feels right. It feels like it. Yeah, the ultimate sacrifice, like the hero has to sacrifice for us to win, and it's like, well, it's a it's a spiral, and Alice is now present in the story. So the sacrifice is that Alan has to die, but Alice has a backup plan for that. If this goes into the DLC some way, it could lead to like, yeah, there's some repercussions of this ending. So there's 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 also more than one possibility of where they can take this. And 
it leads to like what ending they're gonna take are they gonna take from both aspects of the ending is it gonna be like a branching timeline who knows i don't know and it's up to them what they want to do yeah that's also true they can if they want to make whatever canon they have the right to do so really uh so i wouldn't be surprised if i expect and see them do something where it's like they take a little bit of column a column b Shug, what about you do you have any sort of opinions on the final draft ending for the dlc i didn't play it so i i kind of deleted the game right after i finished it so uh i don't know i might i might play it at some point um i mean i'm interested uh, it does seem like, by the way that you guys explain it, that what I think so far, or what I could maybe theorize, is the fact that, like, kind of, there's a stopping point to the story, and it kind of just loops around, kind of deal. Like, you know, with the spiral idea. Um, and maybe if it keeps going in some way, even though after Scratch is gone, um, it might be a thing that, who knows, again, Door could be the one making the spiral continue in, in some way. So, like, if the final draft itself, it's somewhere where they're kind of recognizing the fact that they have already done this in, in, at some point, it might be that after they pretty much, quote-unquote, killed uh, Alan and Scratch, it restarted the story in some way. Um, and maybe the the entirety of the town itself is also... Uh, consumed by the dark place in some way you know like it's like I, I don't know exactly too much I'm just going for off and for what you guys have so far explained um, but maybe again like uh, if it's going off of a spiral in some way that uh, Alan you know whenever he wakes up from being shot and he's like oh you know it's a spiral and it just boom ends um, I'm going with the fact that it might be just a repeating loop you know, at all times, and it once you get to a certain point, which means that probably after you kill Scratch, it restarts and everything begins to happen once again. So, I don't know. Like I'm, I will have to play it to give like a better understanding of it. But I, that's pretty much what I'm guessing so far. Yeah, and, and like no theory is like incorrect because they are like sort of interpretations. But that kept happening as well in the story where he gets shot in the head and that happened multiple times. And, and from yeah. what I'm reading, they say the reason that happens is because the future Alan Wake comes in to stop Scratch from writing the story. But then is when he gives up. So he gets corrupted yeah. anyway. And, and that sort of leads to when they pull him out is scratch in the real world because it's both of them conjoined at once. So it's, it's yeah. really fucking crazy when you get down to brass tacks and you think about this plot line, it's really detailed mm -hmm. and like just super insane, but we're going to move on to one of the final questions here. And it's just, does anyone have any more constructive criticism about the game that they want to take into account? I'm going to let Bane go first. Um, honestly, I've, I've got the only criticism I would say is I don't like it being digital only. I understand that the publisher Epic, that was their uh, their decision. It's also a game that launched at 60. I I understand physical costs more. I would have paid I would have paid a fucking 70 bucks for this physically. That, that's my biggest criticism. Constructive for the game, I, I don't really have anything. I, I love the storytelling. 
I, I do think that the minor bugs I experienced could be fixed, but most of them have already kind of been patched by the time that we've recorded this, because they've actually updated this game like six times. Yep. Um, I don't know. I, I, I really enjoyed my time with it. I... I don't really have any criticisms past I, I wish there was a fucking physical release. After the, uh, the amazing Quantum Break PC release they put out in 2016, uh, 2017, um, why, why the fuck haven't got one? That's my opinion. But yeah, uh, I'll leave this to everyone else. Austin, what about you? Any constructive criticisms on Alan Wake 2 that you think they need to fix for either future DLCs or a third game? So, I'm probably going to have the biggest criticisms out of this game from this entire group. Um, I said that I liked the gameplay. It did. It takes a lot of inspiration from, like, Resident Evil 2 specifically, a remake. But they take a bit too much into the form is that they don't really improve upon certain systems. In the first game, the flashlight system was pretty solid. It wasn't completely obtuse or or just all over the place. It was simple and effective, and it worked for the game it was. In Alan Wake 2, the flashlight system is a little weird, where if you use the button to use the flashlight, it consumes a charge. Okay, that's fine. However, sometimes the game has weird hitboxes for the flashlight, so it makes it a lot harder to get one charge to work properly, so you have to use a second charge. In this game, you don't recharge batteries. It's a resource management. That's a plus. I like that. In the first game, you can just shine it, and then you can wait a little bit without having to waste batteries, and you just, like, shine it back and forth. It recharges, whatever. In this game, it's a resource management, and then they kind of they kind of made it weird to where if you try to flash somebody, but if you get hit out of it, you completely lose the charge. And I was like, oh, that's kind of really bullshit. A lot of there was a, quite a few times where I was like in the early game at least where I just kept getting hit while trying to flash them up close and I lose the charge and it just got the, the game got a little difficult and that was like the one that that's probably my biggest gripe gameplay wise is that it took four steps forward making a survival horror gameplay is actually a lot better uh, in my opinion it's a lot more smoother and it fits the genre that it's in but they kind of take a little bit too much from Resident Evil 2 to make it a little bit more original other than the flashlight system, but then the flashlight system is kind of lesser to the first game, where it's a little bit more jankier, a little bit more frustrating, and in my personal opinion, I would just say just make it so that you get a lot less bullcrap when using it, and maybe make it a little bit more effective at hitting the targets, because I've had stationary things where I flash the light and I miss it just barely, and it's not enough to dispel it. And I was like, oh, I gotta use a second charge? You gotta be kidding me. Uh, my other criticism I would have that's pretty big is that um, try not to... Like I said, I've, I've explained this before about the uh, story. I initially gave this game a, like, I think it was like a 9 out of 10. Overall, my, like, critical rating is 9 out of 10. I've molded over. It's dropped down to an 8.5. Some of it's gameplay related. And the other is that I felt like the story kind of, like I said, it drags a little bit with Anderson, and there's bits and pieces I wish they either cut or molded it better to fit that wasn't, you know, too much. And 
Like I said, there's some weird character decisions for Anderson, but then they kind of fix that by breaking the fourth wall. Overall, biggest complaints is, is some of the gameplay mechanics could be either tweaked or completely reworked into something that's a little bit more fun slash a little bit less janky bullcrap or frustrating, I should say. And the other thing is, gameplay-wise, um, the shooting system is fine. And I'll make two. Like I said, it's reminiscent of Resident Evil 2 remake, which isn't bad. I just felt like, compared to the first game, it just... I felt like my shots were missing sometimes out of just pure randomness. And not because, like, oh, I'm following this target and my shots are not one-to-one. -one. I press the trigger and there's, like, a delay. I don't know. I, felt, I feel like, to end this quickly, I felt like the game needs to be a little bit more snappier, a little bit more responsive. And the light system, the flashlight system, should be reworked a bit to fit a little bit better in the style that it's trying to be. Otherwise, I don't mind the resource management of it. It's fine. It's actually fun. But overall, it could have been tweaked a bit much. Okay, it's my turn. I'm, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna try to do some positive and negative here. I'm just gonna at least illustrate that I, I love this game. I thought it was a really fun game. It was a nice 25 hours, 25, 30 hours, and, and I did enjoy my playtime with it. That being said, before we go to the negative, there is things they could fix for a third game and maybe further iterations of it, and I'm just going to be like quick on it. Um, I, I, I think, number one, if they're going to make two campaigns for the characters again, then they need to be able to make them separate campaigns and have them have 100% of their own stuff, items, and things of that nature. Because I, I think they need to not have that disparity of one person gets like 75% of gameplay and, and everything else, and then the other person gets like 25%. I, I think that's an unfair imbalance when you talk about these characters and what they receive. Uh another thing i have an issue with and it's probably just me but after they pass this game like six times and you go to the text doors i still have that issue where if i read the text of the door first which is you know common sense is what someone would probably do uh highlighting that option i still get this weird bug where i cannot exit out of the text that i read so I cannot progress to the door any further. I'm not sure why that is, but I got that like four or five times in my playthrough and it's something they need to fix. If I press like circle after reading it, it should be done and I should progress through the next door. So hopefully nothing like that happens again because I lost like a lot of progress simply because that happened. The next thing they could fix is obviously if they're going to bring back the profiling board, at least make it interesting and and not have it overstay as welcome now it's not a bad idea on concept and paper and even execution but the issue is when i had that long segment with saga and i was pressing like eight things on the board it, it got a little bit tedious after a while i don't think it needs to be that long i, I think it should be something like i don't know this is probably an awful game to compare it to but i'm just gonna say it anyway uh heavy rain when you got clues and you file them and the character just thinks it out loud it was more spontaneous and on the fly versus alan wake 2 
and and i i think that's probably part of the problem is that um when you're solving stuff and you need specific pieces of the items you need to go back to the drawing board in order to profile them to progress whereas i think this could be a lot more faster a lot more fluid and a lot more uh quick and snappy as opposed to how it is now uh so it's room for improvement there on the fly clues in order to get through things faster and the last critique i have i, I guess is just like a little nitpick but uh they can have more creatures we we see the general taken and um how they affected um <coughs> excuse me how they affected um certain people and it's not enough bosses in the game or, or deformed enemies and we know the dark presence can do this if you i'm not trying to spoil the control dlc for people but the dark presence in the human body it could do a lot more than what you've seen in alan wake 2 uh with a certain character and if you know who he is then it's just absolutely insane uh but it, it could do a lot more damage and, and a lot more grotesque stuff to people than what meets the eye so if you know what that is it would be crazy if that was in like an alan wake 3 or whatever where people are just running around looking like that <laughs> which is it's insanity when you finally know uh that's the only thing that i think i have in terms of criticisms uh overall great uh, there's one more sometimes the dodge was inconsistent as well whenever i dodged i would still end up getting hit and i'm not sure if it was just me or what but i would dodge like twice i clearly avoided it and somehow the dude behind me would blast me with like either uh dark energy or he would still hit me even though i dodged him the first time and i thought that was a little bit ridiculous i'm not sure if that was just skill issue me but i had that happen like three times so they could tweak the dodging a little bit more i hate to say re in every comparison but honestly re3 remake with the dodging it was very clear with that white flash on screen you knew you dodged the attack when it did that and jill counterattacked after the fact so it was just it was way better than this game if they made it like that where it's a clear indicator and you know the following attack is like you have iframes or not it'd be perfect but that's my only uh critiques of the game everything else is fine for the most part suge any issues with uh alan week two uh <laughs> I think my biggest issue with it was mainly uh, when it had to do in the middle of combat, let's say, and I wasted all my, my magazines, basically, of ammo. And I'm either standing there pressing the reload and the character doesn't want to reload. Um, I think that's probably one of my biggest issues playing the game was the fact that sometimes the game or the character didn't just want to fucking react to me pressing the reload. And I'm just standing there trying to dodge shit. Um, the dodging, I understand. I also had that problem too. Whenever uh, the enemies that throw stuff, I mean, you can hear the thing coming, but the fact that I would press the dodge and I still get hit by it kind of annoyed me, especially with the times that I died because of it. Um, enemy variety, yeah. I mean, with what little I've played of control, you know, you do have those messed up enemies that, you know, the ones that blow up and like fly around and all that kind of shit. It's like, you know, there's a lot of different types, so they could get those involved at some point, but I think 
I think it has like it might be that it hasn't reached to the outside of the uh, the bureau itself to to the point to change humans like that. Um, but who knows? Maybe in the DLC they'll probably start making different types of enemies. Um, but yeah, I think the gunplay for me was pretty good. Slow at times, sluggish here and there, especially with the reload. The reload was probably the most annoying thing to me. I I probably get annoyed a lot because of the character. Like, I'm just going to be standing here. I'm trying to shoot, but then I realized I press reload and the motherfucker didn't even reload. So um, I had that issue a lot with Saga. I had it a couple times with Alan, too, but I think I had it more with Saga. Even after doing the, the fucking uh, the fast reload uh, upgrade. Uh, what else? Um, Story-wise, uh, yeah, like the profiling, I think... Maybe keep it to what the like the actual evil characters and not everybody else kind of deal. Um, maybe that probably be a, a little better. Um, I feel like having to investigate almost every single person you talk to in a profiling way kind of gets overwhelming, um, especially with all the information you got to take in. Um, the the yeah, like the dodging is probably the worst part. I think. Um, Yes, any like Eleanor had pretty good, pretty good ways of gathering clues. Maybe something like that probably could have been a lot even better, in some way. Um, but like the profiling, I I think so far it was my bigger issue in terms of how much it kind of just stops the momentum of the story for me to sit here and listen to the people talk, um, especially during that during the uh, the old people home. I think that that part kind of got uh. Had a lot of shit to investigate, but then again, you're sitting for like a good ten minutes listening to whatever the characters have to say because of your investigation. Um, maybe I mean inventory. I didn't really have much of an issue with that at all. Honestly, if I had something extra, I'd just throw it and use it if I don't have the shoe box next to me, or shoot the bullets and reload. Um, uh. One glitch that I think I would say I don't know I I to this day I do not know if it's a glitch, but I would flash uh I, I would basically you know use the flashlight and the enemy was split in two or three, I don't know why, but it always did that to me and I'm, uh, and the really fast enemies, so um I had that happen a couple times during my playthrough, and it still confuses me because either they both attack me or one of them just stands there and the other one keeps moving around, um. The flashlight was kind of different. I like it, but the fact that it used the charge when I got interrupted annoyed the hell out of me. Because either I would press it accidentally, or, or, you know, in the original one, you could do it at will. You know, you could aim it and then enhance it. I would like to be able to just, you know, enhance it or cancel it out in some way. Even if you just leave me with half a charge, I would have been great with that, you know. Um, but I think... Yeah, the flashlight kind of just, like, it was still good. I like how they implemented it in this one. I like how it, it kind of make you actually look for the batteries and try to conserve them as much as a kid, especially with using flares and flashbangs. Um, I think it's taught me a lot, well, um, fucking resource management for sure. Uh, but with Alan, I was just, I was more trying to empty out everything into the shoebox because of how much I had. <laughs> That's my only problem with Alan is the fact that I had so much of it that I didn't really use all of it. And uh, 
the the segments with the lights i love that whenever you were alan you had to do the, the take out the lights i think that's probably one of my favorite things of the uh of his besides the uh the scene changes um and i yeah like that's pretty much it and the, uh and the boss battle with cynthia god that was hard as hell mainly because you can't really tell whenever uh she's sending the waves i died like two or three times with the waves and it kind of just it, it's kind of hard to I mean, like, there's like small things here and there that kind of just annoyed me, mainly because you can't really notice them that well. All right, so we're gonna sign off with this podcast. Uh, pretty fun, interesting discussions and interpretations across the board. Uh, so we're gonna get right into it with these outros. Bane, where can we find you on social media? Well, <clears throat> shit. One second, let me get a drink here. Sure. <clears throat> uh, yeah, you can find me on YouTube. My <clears throat> my Twitter is currently not available, but uh, Fuzzhow, F-U-Z-H-O-U, you can go there. Um, also, we I do a podcast of my own called Loud Equals Funny. Um, you can check it out on any major podcasting platforms. There you go. Austin, where can we find you? All right, I'm AK Austin. Uh, you can find me on Twitter under the name AK Austin TTV. I'm also do Twitch under the same name as AK Austin TTV. You can find me on YouTube as AK Austin as well. Yeah, this was a pretty fun podcast. Uh, I was actually very excited for this one, and yeah, like I said, I really like this game. I do have my gripes with it, but overall, I'm excited for the future. All right, you can find me on YouTube at Renegade Operative. You can find me on Twitter at Operative underscore. And you can find me on Twitch at Renegade underscore Operative. Uh, the only thing I have planned really is I'm going to do Silent Hill, the short message, since I didn't get a time to play any of that since I was playing Alan Wake 2. Uh, and I'm going to play PT because I have a copy of it that fans sort of rebuilt on PC and I've been meaning to re-record that playthrough, but I never got around to it because, well, Unreal PT is not that great. Uh, so I found something else, an alternative, so that should be really fun to put up and play over the next few days. And that's all I got going on outside of this and IES, which, you know, Infinite Ammo Syndicate, you can find us there and I'll be uploading this podcast tomorrow. Shug, where can we find you on social media? All right, you guys can find me on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter at SugarBastion, Instagram SugarBastion underscore. Uh, I post there mostly of my schedules and all what, what I'm doing in terms of gameplay and recording YouTube. Um, currently, I just finished Alan Wake 2 on my channel, so that's there. Pins of Persia, uh, The Lost Crown, currently still going. So uh, uh, it's mainly just waiting on how long that game is going to uh, distract me until the next game comes out, basically. So, yeah pretty much it all right and we're gonna sign out uh for this alan way 2 podcast uh interesting stuff when the dlc comes around we might cover it but of course naturally speaking no release date so you never know uh but we'll see you guys next time for more alan wake shenanigans hopefully in the future and we'll see you guys soon later <laughs>